The following sermon is from the United Church of Tishomingo. As we um, open up our Bible today to go through the last part of this message that I've been preaching, uh, it's Philippians 3, starting in chapter 7, for those of you that want your Bible out and handy, and um, we have guests with us this morning, and we have, always have guests that are watching, so those of you that are here and that have heard everything, please give me just a brief minute to review, and I'll make it very brief, but uh, it helps make the sermon make more sense if you let me just quickly share where we've come from and where we are. And so the very briefest uh, review I can give is this. Um, I started this sermon out, and by the way, for those of you who think I was a month late because I wasn't here pretty much the month of January because of COVID, so I didn't get to do my New Year's sermon to start out, so we're a little farther along. But the premise of this that God put in my heart while I was down was that everybody was you know, saying, I'm sick of 2020, ready for it to be gone, I want 2021, you know, we're tired of it. And the premise I had was, I know why everybody wanted 2020 to be gone, but what have you done in your life? What plan do you have to make 2021 better? Because if you don't have a plan, if you don't have a purpose, if that's just a wish, 2021 is going to be just like 2020. In other words, if you don't, you know, when you want something to be better, you have to have a plan to make it better. So you can go back and look at the sermons. You know, I've read all the scriptures, but it, it's. It's Philippians 3, and it's verses 7 through 20. And what that does is the Apostle Paul tells us how to leave something bad behind, how to attain to something better, and some roadblocks that will stop you from getting there. Make sense? There, it's as simple as I can get. And I have some papers run off. Some of you took them, some of you didn't. I know who you are. Um, <laughs> back in the back. But it's a, it's a deal that I asked you and I really seriously, I mean this. You know, people for years have talked about how church is not a spectator sport. You know, that there should be participation. There's a reason why you come, a reason why we do sermons, a reason why we do lessons. And what I'm asking you to do is, that sheet is a goal sheet. When I used to do my, we don't do it regular anymore, just for, but when we were doing a lot of jail and prison ministry, I shared with you, I'd always help those guys say, look, if you want to get out of where you are, you have to have a plan to get out of where you are. You can't just wish you could get out of this. And I would always have them write down. I'd always do this. Where do you want to be in six months? Where do you see yourself? Where do you want to be in a year? Then I would have them write down over here. What are the steps you will have to take to get yourself there? And then I would have them write down over here. What steps will keep you? What are the things that will keep you from getting there? What are some obstacles? And they would write those down. Okay. And I found out, even from my coaching days, you know, when we would set goals, that if you, if you can set all the goals you want to, but if you don't keep them in front of you and keep yourself aware of them, you forget about them pretty quick if you just keep them in the back of your head. So I've got those sheets, and they're a goal plan for 2021, only they're spiritual goals. I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to ask you to turn it in. I'm not going to grade it. I'm not going to do anything. But how many of you, you don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of you really, really, really have ever sat down and thought, what am I going to do to make things better? 
not only for my life, but for the people around me. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And I don't care what that is for you. Every one of you is different. But as your pastor, I'm asking you to participate in church. Not just listen. By taking one of those, filling it out, praying over it, and see what God would have you to do. And so in these passages of Scripture, really quickly, there were three things that I, you know, I sound like a Baptist preacher here, but that's what it looked like. There were three things that we saw. We saw the problem, then we saw the plan, and then we saw the practice that it's going to take to get there. And the problem was, if you look at it, everybody's got a past. Everybody. Everybody's got a 2020. And they got to get rid of it. And the two extremes are, some people have such a bad past, they don't think God could ever, and that's, that, I've told you, that's pretty prideful if you think you could do something God can't forgive. God longs to, now you've got to repent. You know, you can't just keep living, but God longs to forgive. But then there's some people over here who haven't ever done a lot of bad stuff, and they think, well, I'm a pretty good guy, I don't need much. That's just as dangerous. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and we all need our past. Okay? So, once you've dealt with the past, what's the plan? The plan is in verse 11, and Paul says the main goal of the Christian life ought to be, verse 11, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That doesn't mean that I work hard enough so God will raise me from the dead. So that's not what it's not talking about working for your salvation. It means that if you've been saved, it means living up to the standard that you've been given in Christ Jesus. I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians, but they're not living up to that standard. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And one of the greatest harms to our society is people who call themselves Christians and live like the rest of the world. They don't live like Christians. And so the world that's not saved looks at the church and says, y'all are no different than me. You just go to a building and gather and do all this stuff and say all these words, but what good does it be to be a Christian? Because you're living just like I'm living. And Paul says the goal is the church should be designed to live like Jesus, to live up to that standard. And there were four quick things he said that's going to have to happen. He said that happens when you know Him experientially. That means you've got to spend time with Him. You're not going to walk like Him if you don't know Him. You've got to know the power of His resurrection, which is His Spirit working in you. You can't do this by yourself. I can't do it by myself. You've got to have God's Spirit. Then he says, you've got to be willing to know the fellowship of His sufferings. Guys, you live in a world that is anti-God, and if you stand up for Christ, there's going to be some suffering. Whether it's losing a friend or losing a reputation, I don't relish that. I don't look forward to it, but you're going you're gonna to pay a price if you follow Christ in this world. And then number four, it is you have to be willing to be conformed to His death. And that means when God puts His finger on something in your life that you need to put away, you need to say, yes, Father. And put that away and let Him fill that with what He wants to give you. Um, like I said, I'm not going to go through it because I don't have time today. But I will tell you as the pastor, there are a lot of practices in my life that God has put His finger on. And here's the thing. Some were sins. You know, and what we get in the habit of doing is, I wasn't out like doing these right, really, really evil, but we all said, well, it's just a little deal, so it's not a big... Yeah, it, it's a big deal. If God's putting His finger on something you're doing, and it's, it, that, that's a big deal. You need, to, you need to repent. But some things were not sins. They were just stuff that's fine, 
but they were taking time away from what God had called me to do. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Hobbies, things, all this kind of stuff. And God put His finger here and says, John, I want your time, not that. And so I've had to put that away. So, like I said before, that's the goal. And then, I'm not going to go through them. They're in the sermon. But if you read verses 7 through uh, uh, 18, there were 16 practices, and I'm not going to give them to you, that Paul says you're going to have to do if you want to live like Christ. But the gist of it was like this. He says, you've got to count everything as loss. And here's the point. You've got to answer this question. How many of you are pursuing a, a bigger this and a bigger that and more of this and more of that and all this world and not pursuing eternity? Paul says, one of these days you're going to get to the end of your life and that stuff's not going to matter. You're going to realize that's, that's not worth anything. The only thing that's worth anything is what have you done in Christ? He says you have to learn to consider that as lost. Now, I'll say it one more time. Didn't say you can't have a job and a retirement and all that kind of stuff. But most people in our world, most people in our world are living for that. And they're not living for what they can build in heaven. And then he said also that you've got to recognize that you're not worthy. In other words, everything that God's done has been because of His mercy and, His mercy and grace. And I know I've said this, Please forgive me, but I'm going to repeat it. There's this preaching that goes on today that tells you how, how you were worth it. Look, you've got to realize that you weren't worth it. Grace, the, the true definition of God's grace is the unmerited favor of God. It, you weren't worth it, and He did it anyway. You know why you have to realize that? It's because then you have no right yourself to look at somebody and say, they're not worth it. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Everybody's worth a shot. Everybody's worth... Now, I'm going to say this. Sometimes you've got to let somebody go because they're just anti... You've got to let them go. I didn't say you throw them out with the trash. you just got to let them go for a while. Does that make sense what I'm saying? But if they are ever want to get it right, you need to be the one there for them to get it right, not holding the past against them. Please please let me know that you're kind of seeing what I'm saying. Okay? We don't minister and love and give people a chance based on their worth. We do it based on the worth of the One who saved us when we weren't worthy. And that way you have no right to judge or condemn. You're trying to share with them the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Make sense? Okay. So, you weren't worthy and God did it anyway. And so when others aren't worthy, you do the same thing. Then... He also said in verses 12 and 13 that you've got to press on. And what he means is this takes work. This isn't going to be easy. You're going to have to work to be like Christ because everything this world does tries to keep you from being like Christ. Everything. And you're going to have to work towards that. Verse 13 says you're never done. Verse, and then the second part of that says you're going to have to forget what lies behind. Now I am going to repeat this really quick. Some of you need to forget your sin. But some people need to forget because they've done one or two good things and they think they can live on that the rest of their life. And I'm good because I did this and I don't have to do any more. It's somebody else's turn. Look here, guys. If you're a Christian, God's never done with you. I don't know about you, but that actually gives me joy to know that there is another level of growth and purpose God has for me as long as I'm breathing. I, I want that. I want to know there's more. Because if you reach the end, then what good is it? All right? 
So he says, I press on. It's going to take work. He says, you're not perfected. You still have work to do. These are the attitudes that you're going to have to have. He says, you need to maintain that standard. He also says in there that you need to be willing to let God correct you. Now watch, Christian. The more you read your Bible, the more the Word of God will put its finger right here and right here and right here and say, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And that's what makes you more like Christ. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And so you need to realize that you need that every day. And then, one more thing he says, is uh, down in uh, verse 17, he says, observe others who have lived life well and emulate that. And I told the youth last week, I told a story about you know, my youth. But guys, look at people who are successful in the Christian life, learn from them. That's what we're supposed to do. But now I want to give you the converse of that. Christian, there are people watching you every single day to see how you're going to act, how you're going to respond, what you're going to say and what you're going to do. Did you realize that? And you have a responsibility to make sure that you handle situations in a Christ-like way so that that guy standing over there in the background that you didn't even know was there watching you might actually be attracted to Christ instead of like, I don't want that. Are you all listening? It's not just little kids that watch you. It's people that watch you. Okay? And so he said, emulate those who do good. Now, um, verses um, 18 and 19, uh, well, verse 20, the last thing he did, I skipped down to that. I said, you've got to realize that if you're in Christ, you're not of this world. And I, and I just want to say this. I know I've kind of stumbled there, but I just wanted to do it quickly. I think I see a whole lot of Christians trying to live with one foot in Christ and one in the world because they don't want to be weird. They don't want to be different. You know, they just kind of want to go along and get along. And so, yes, they love Christ, they love the church, but they don't want to be you know, away from the world and, and you can't live like that. Paul says you've got to realize your citizenship is there. And if you start living like that every single day, it's going to affect what you do down here. I know it's affected me tremendously, what I do. Now, for those of you that are guests and people like, here's where I've got to be careful because I don't like doing this, but nobody preaches this anymore. Nobody has the courage to do it. They won't do it. I've got to preach the steps that will keep you from living up to the... Do you all understand what I'm saying? So, I don't want to be the hellfire and brimstone preacher. I don't want to be the guy that's out here. But I have to tell the truth. I have to speak the whole counsel of God. So please hear my heart. I'm doing this in love. But he gives four things that are evident of people that are not living like they're supposed to. I'm going to be brief because I just don't want to be the preacher that just, you know, screams. And, but i got to say it. Uh, look at verses 18 and verses 19. Here are, the, here are the, the, the steps that will keep you from being who God created you to be. Look at verse 18. Paul says, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, what does that mean if somebody is an enemy? Quickly, okay? Among the many things that means is, Paul is saying that they are people who are absolutely not willing to deny themselves anything. Listen to me very carefully, guys. The cross represents denying yourself, even things maybe that you, that's, that you des, that's okay for the sake of something better. Does that make sense what I'm saying? G 
Could Jesus have got married if He wanted to? Of course, He could have. It's not a sin. That's a good thing. But He even denied Himself that. Why? So that He could focus His ministry totally on what He came here to do. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I didn't say don't get married. I didn't say I'm saying that even good things, Christ denied Himself for the sake of us. Y'all ever had to deny yourself something for the sake of somebody else? Even maybe something that wasn't a bad thing, but you just didn't want to give a bad appearance. Y'all ever had to do that before? And what Paul says is, the cross represents self-denial. Putting God before the world. Putting away your old life where you ruled. To live a new life where God rules every part of your life. He says, these people seek this world and the flesh and to please themselves. They're not seeking God. And if a person lives that way, they're never going to attain to the goal of living to the resurrection from the dead. Listen to me very carefully. I had a really brainy thought. I'm proud of, my, I'm proud of this thought. You can't rise if you haven't died. Are you listening? Pretty simple. You can't rise if you haven't died. That's got to happen at some time in your life. Now, my only question to you today is, are there areas in your life that God's put His finger on that He's asking you to put away? And they may not be sin. They may not be sin. I'll give you mine. As stupid as this is, I'll give you one. I don't even like talking about this because it's embarrassing kind of because y'all laugh. But I grew up in southeast Oklahoma. You know, I'm a country boy at heart. I'm not saying I can't go anymore and do it. But one of the things that I spent a whole lot of time at and a whole lot of money was deer hunting. I'm just telling you that took a lot of my time and a lot of my money and a lot of my effort and God's saying, I need you to spend more time doing these. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? I'm just telling you the truth. I'm giving, it's a hobby that there's nothing. And I didn't say I'm never going again. But I'm saying that just like for about three months out of the year, my life revolved around... <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not saying that God's telling you to do that. I'm not the preacher that does that. I'm not saying He's telling you you can't do that. I'm saying He told me you're spending too much time and too much money and, and, and you've got too much effort in this. You need to be... Does that make sense? It doesn't always have to be something sinful, but something good can become sinful if it takes the place of God. Make sense what I'm saying? So... That's what I'm talking about right there. Enemies of the cross. I'm willing to deny myself something that's not a bad thing because God's asked me to do ministry instead and not spend so much time doing that. And so, whatever it is for you, when God asks you to put it away, are you willing to put it on the cross? Even if it's not a sin. Alright, look at verse 19. Now, here's the steps, but we're going to go in reverse order. Because it's actually reverse order how it happens. So is verse 19 up there? Yeah. So, look at what it, what it says. All right. First of all, the step that will keep you from living like you're supposed to is they set their mind on earthly things. And all that means, that's their focus. That's their preoccupation. That is their life. They're chasing the world. They're running the rat race. Rat race. They're seeking what Paul says is lost. Now watch. It's okay to build your business and your farm and your job and your reputation, but so many people, everything about them is based on that. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Are y'all listening to me? Watch. 
How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you really, 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 really trust God? Do you really? What did He say to do? Chase after me first and I will provide the stuff that you need. Yet, most of you, when, it, when the rubber hits the road, you're not quite sure. You're not quite sure. Well, I still got to do this. I still got to do that. Do your job. Take care of your business. Do what you're supposed to do. But how many of you do your job with an eye towards heaven? Or your whole focus is right here on your job and all that? Does that make sense what I'm saying? You know, I love teaching. And I loved my career as a teacher. And I was pretty good at it. But I always kept my focus open for Christ. And when Christ came and called me to something else, I gave up something I loved that was a very good thing to do something else. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Both of them good, but God changed where He wanted me to focus. i got a question for you. Are you willing to do that? Is that what you're willing to do if He calls you to focus somewhere else in your life? And so... The first thing he says, they set their mind on earthly things. Every morning when I get up, I ask God what He wants me to do now today. And I set my mind on His will, not on mine. Alright, look at the second one. Okay? He says their God is their appetite. And what that means is, they are led in everything they do by their earthly goals. Uh, they establish the course of their life. Listen to me. If you eat too much sugar, you get diabetes. If you eat too much of the world, you get lost. Are you listening? Just telling you. Guys, the older I get, I know I'm ruining your day, so I'm sorry. I, I, I really do. I know the guests, I apologize to you, but, but listen to me. There is blessing and love and joy. There's all that in Christ. But if we don't preach the danger, I'm not doing my job. And you better be careful that you're not making your decisions based on your earthly appetites. It better be on God's desire for you. Because you're going to find out. Have any of you, let me just ask something. Honest to goodness, have any of you ever just died to have something and you got it and it wasn't what you thought and, and, and it wasn't there and just what you thought was going to be? I have. That's what he's saying. Be careful because. This earth can never fulfill your true hunger. It just can't do it. And so many people today are living by their earthly appetites. Good gosh, I see it all the time. Which leads me to the next one. Now here's the only place I'm going to get kind of really... Uh, the world's going to call me a hater. But I'm going to do it anyway because this is what's going on in our world. Look at it. He says, their glory is in their shame. See that? Now watch this. The sad part is about so many people in this world is they think they're doing great things and they don't even realize that they're headed straight to hell. And they're taking, listen to me, they're taking pride in these worldly things and they're flaunting that lifestyle in front of everybody. And two of the biggest ones are this. And I'm just going to tell you, I had a message last week and I had a long conversation with somebody who'd never really been taught this, never heard this. I'm going to be careful not mention boy or girl or anything because I don't want anybody to think I'm talking about them. But listen, fornication is living together without being married. Y'all understand? 
And in Hebrews 13.4 it says, let the marriage bed be held in honor because fornicators and adulterers God's going to judge. That means condemn. That puts them under condemnation. And I see these people, Facebook, and they're all just, you know, they're so proud they finally moved in together, you know, and they're living together and they're doing all this stuff. I'm not getting on anybody if that was you. Like I said, if you did that, God will forgive it, God will take it away, but you've got to repent. You've got to recognize, you've got to realize that's a sin. And here's the thing, you can't repent of your sin if nobody calls you on it. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Do you realize that I'm saying this out of love? I'll get down on my knees if I have to and beg you to, to realize I love you. I, I told you last week, you know, if you were in a house and I'm driving down the road and I see this fire in the back of your house and smoke and flames is coming, but you're up in the front room watching TV and you don't know what's going on, and I bust in the door and drag you out about the time your gas heater explodes, you're going to do what? Thank you. You saved my life. I didn't see that coming. But if it's just you're living together and doing that, and I bust in, and what are you going to do? Well, who are you to judge me? You know, you hater. Y'all see what I'm saying? And so I take, I take a, a really danger in doing this, but I love you. Same way with the sin of homosexuality. You can't say that anymore, but that's a sin that God is judging. I love people caught up in that sin. You know how much I love them? I love them enough to say it, even at the risk of being called a bigot and a hater and all that kind of stuff. I love them enough to say, if you don't stop, if you don't get out of that burning house, you're going to die. God's going to judge you. God's going to condemn you. The Scripture says if you practice that, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It says it more than once. It says in, it says in Romans 1, it's unnatural. It's shameful. And what that's saying is we have people who are taking glory in their shame. And as they take glory in their shame, they are getting more and more and more eating their earthly appetites the flesh telling them what to do, and what's the end result? Their end is destruction. And if you're a preacher without the guts to say that, shame on you. I'm not anything special for saying it. I just want people to understand that there is a... I guess it's because I worked with kids for so long and still do. And I see where this world is pulling them towards that stuff and telling them it's okay... And you should, y'all see that all the time, and it's being pushed. And if you love somebody, if they're, don't you try to save them? Don't you try to, y'all see what I'm saying? And I just see kids' lives being destroyed as the world takes glory in shameful things and tries to get them to do it with them. And if you try to grab them and pull them back, you're going to be called all kinds of stuff. People are going to say all kinds of things. And that's okay. I can take it. I will do it. I don't like it. I'm one of those guys, I kind of wish people liked me. And, and I don't like it. And I don't like, I don't like preaching this stuff, but listen to me. I can't just always preach God loves you and everything's great and all this stuff and everything. I can't do that. That's a lie. Y'all understand? Now look, you can't do it either. I didn't say that you have to go around to people put your finger in their face and condemn them. But when the conversation comes up, do you have the guts to speak the truth in love as we're called to do? Or are you just going to back off because you don't want to cause any problems? Does that make sense? 
you got to have the courage to speak the truth in love. And you know what? You might lose a friend. Or you might lose a whatever. Paul says, now let's go back, I count all that stuff as loss for the surpassing glory of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you think I take any joy in confrontation, you don't know me. Dear Lord, I wish that we could just all hug each other and ride unicorns and pick roses and get along. I, I, I'd give anything. That's just I'm, I don't enjoy it, but I can't shy away from it. I've got to tell you the truth, so I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to preach this every Sunday, but it's on record now what the Scripture says, what the Bible says. Did you know, talking about loss, you know, my son lives in Georgia. This was five years ago. The fire chief for the Atlanta, Georgia Fire Department was fired and lost his job because in his Sunday school class at his church, he taught a, sexu- a, a, a part on, on sexuality and said that homosexuality was a sin and that marriage should be between a man and a woman. And that got out, and they said that he wasn't fit to be a public servant. And, had, and they fired him for that. And if you think Tishomingo is immune to that, just hang on, baby. Because it's not. And I'm going to tell you, do you have the courage to stand up when that battle comes? And fight that battle even if it costs you something. Because the cross says standing up for Christ is going to cost you something. Okay? So, being an enemy of the cross, setting your mind on the world, living by fleshly appetites, taking glory in your shame, not, that's going to keep you from living by the, uh, to the attainment of the resurrection from the dead. So I'm going to close with this illustration. You can't, young people, you cannot tolerate sin even if you think it's just a little sin. You can't do it. And I don't know who the preacher was. I've got to give credit to a radio preacher that I listened to. But he gave this illustration. It was actually a true story about how sin will eventually... And here it is. True story. And I'm done. There was a young man and woman who worked for like the Peace Corps overseas. Y'all, you know, working. And they didn't have much of anything at all because when you work for the Peace Corps, you're poor, you know, and you're just, you're, they just kind of, you live by what they feed you and all that kind of stuff. And so they had grown to love each other and fall in love. And so they made a, they, they got engaged. And they, when they came back to the States and were able, they were going to get married. Well, she came back a, a couple weeks before him. And on his way back, something happened. I can't remember what it was, but he died. In a, in a wreck, in a crash, in something, and he, and, and he died. And they didn't have very much. There wasn't very much between them, but he had a pet snake, a pet boa. You know, a lot of people do that. And, uh, or a python. No, I think it was a python. He had a pet python. And she wasn't really fond of snakes. You know, that wasn't really her deal. But it wasn't very big, and it was all she had left to remember him by. So she took it. She said, I'm going to take it and keep it because this is all I got to remember him by. So she went home, she took it, and she fixed up a terrarium, you know, how you're supposed to fix it up, and she put that snake in there and she studied on it, you know, how do you feed them, how do you care for them, how you do all that kind of stuff. And uh, she fed it and she watered it and she kept it and then she learned how to take it out and finally she got where she could hold it. You know, I mean, at first she couldn't, and she could hold it and she could, you know, 
treat it like they said to treat it and all that kind of stuff. And it started to get a little bit bigger and it started to get a little bit bigger and it started to grow, you know, and pretty soon six months goes by and a year goes by and now she's kind of comfortable with it. So she finally just let it out of the cage and she would just let it, you know, because it, you know, eat stuff and all that kind of stuff. And she had to feed it more and more and more and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And after, I don't know, it's three or four years, one morning or in the middle of the night, she woke up one night and the snake was laying in bed with her at the foot of the bed. And it kind of freaked her out. She said, you know, I was, but after a while, she got used to that. And it didn't bother. She said she almost found comfort, you know, that there was something there, you know, with her in that. Well, about a year later, something happened. The snake got really, really, really lethargic. It just quit doing anything. And it started shedding. Its, it wouldn't eat. It wouldn't move. It started shedding its skin. And it started getting like almost just pure white. And she thought it was fixing to die. So she got in the phone book and she looked up an exotic you know, vet and called him and said, hey, here's what's going on. What's the matter? And he said, well, explain it. So she told him everything that was going on. And he says, ma'am, that's very common. He said, that's what large pythons do when they're getting ready, preparing themselves to eat a great big meal. And he said, what happened is that snake is not your pet. You are its prey. That's what sin does. Starts out little. We tolerate it. Then we get used to it. Then we just kind of act like there's nothing the matter with it. And eventually that grows. And instead of you being able to manage that, it becomes your master. And it guides your life. Listen to me. You can't tolerate things in your life that aren't supposed to be there. And if you will read this like you're supposed to and eat it and grow on it, it, not the preacher, not the deacon or the elder or the Sunday school teacher, it will say, John, it's time for you to give me this. John, it's time for you to put this away. John, does that make sense what I'm saying? And so, I'm going to ask you today, seriously, please, if you don't want to get one of those sheets, don't, but I, I'm not even going to go stand back there because I don't want to think bad of you when you don't pick it up. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you to seriously consider some spiritual goals for 2021. Invite somebody to church. Memorize Scripture. Like I said a couple weeks ago, have any of you got a goal? to lead even one person maybe to Christ? Because the Great Commission is what? Go out into the world and do what? Make disciples. Teach them what I said. Baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense what I'm saying? That's the commission. That wasn't just to the disciples. How many of you got a goal to do that? And so I'm going to ask you to write down some spiritual goals. I'm going to ask you to write down and think about it and pray, okay, what am I going to have to do to make that happen? And then, what's going to keep me from doing that? My job getting too busy? Not Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And if I'm asking too much, you can go put your membership somewhere else and I'll, I'll still love you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. Well, I'm trying to be funny. <laughs> I'm not being funny, but I'm trying to be funny. But I want my church family to see. And I want to kind of finish, but you've got to understand this. We're all asking for revival. We're all, 
But revival doesn't happen on a national basis. Revival always starts on an individual basis. And real revival will then grow to the people around that person and it starts on a small basis. Because then God gets the glory because it, of how it happens through just plain old nobody people like you and me. Does that make sense what I'm saying? But it's not going to happen until you get serious about feeding on the Word of God. Until you get serious about setting some goals of what Christ would have you to do. And if you're doing that already, God bless you, I love you, awesome. But if you're not, and most people aren't, I'm going to ask you to start doing that today. Some things you've got to put away, some things you've got to adopt, some things God called you to do. What is it that He's calling you to do? Let's bow and let's close with prayer. Father, thank You for Your patience with me. Thank You for giving these people patience with me. Thank You for the grace to speak Your truth, even though sometimes it's hard because um, we don't want to do that in a world where we think we're going to get criticized and, and blamed and, and all that kind of stuff. But man, Father, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I sure don't want to offend You. And so I just pray, Father, that not only my words, but my heart and my attitude and everything I say and do would be to honor You, would be to truly honor You. And that people would just see that my heart is to lift You up because that's what the Scripture tells us to do. Father, I pray that You would convict Your church, Your children, that we are living in a day and an age that the church has to start being the church. And we have to start living and acting like we've been raised with Christ so that we can walk like Christ and the world will be drawn to that. Only you can do that. We ask you for wisdom and grace and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.